Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We're basically heading into February here. It's a it's a big month for all the MLB fans out there, and hopefully we get some good updates here coming soon so that spring training isn't seriously delayed, significantly delayed, hardly delayed at all, let's hope. Um, I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway on Twitter, and with me, hopefully here for the whole season, is Matt Sell. So, Matt, how are we doing here on this fine afternoon? I am doing pretty well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Salesman. That's T H E S E L Z M A N. Um, and I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. But I'm with you. I'm hoping that spring training is right around the corner. Normally, we're about two weeks out from pitchers and catchers reporting, but I don't know if that's the case this year because uh, we've got a nasty lockout happening right now. I just want to I just want to return to normalcy. I know the past couple years. Um, my birthday's on Valentine's Day. So when it comes to right around February 14th, it's, you know, a lot of people think, you know, I know a lot of people think it's Colby's birthday, which is very exciting. I know everyone out there is thinking that, but for me, it's always pitchers and catchers are reporting or they're reporting right around that time. But it seems like lately that who knows if we're going to get that this year. When you look in recent years, like I know we've, we've done the player profiles for fantasy alarm in the past and wrote them in near the end of 2019, heading into 2020, then the COVID season happened. Then going into the player profiles for the 2021 season, I was still referencing back to what do we take away from the shortened season of 2020? Now this year, we didn't do player profiles. We did the player capsules, which you can find in the draft guide we have at Fantasy Alarm. But even then now I'm doing player capsules and it's like, well, I don't even know how to project for this season. What are we looking at? Are we looking at 162 games? We're looking at a buck 40. Do we have a delayed spring training like what is going to happen i just want a sense of normalcy for forecasting these players heading in to the 2022 major league baseball season so obviously we have to talk about the lockout it just has to happen hopefully like we said hopefully it can pass they get what they want and we get a season that starts on time even if we don't get spring training if we can get an on-time start so be it so let's be selfish let's talk about us as players in the fantasy baseball realm I'll just say it blunt. Are there any advantages for fantasy managers with drafting for their leagues, home leagues, competitive leagues, anything like that here while we are in this state of the lockout that we're in? I would say that one big advantage is that I think it's easier to find sleepers right now uh, than if we had spring training going on. You had reports of hashtag best shape season happening, right? Um you know, once guys hit the field and we see how they're practicing or you get the spring training reports like this guy's being used at a different position than we thought, um, then it's a little tougher to find the sleepers in the drafts, especially if you're in a super competitive or super deep league. Uh, I happen to be in one that is both deep and competitive. Um, so there's basically no sleepers in my draft like ever, but um I would say that's the biggest advantage. The biggest disadvantage right now um, is kind of we don't know. There, there's a bunch of free agents out there, right? We don't know where guys are going to land, and we don't know where that's going to how that's going to shuffle playing time, lineups, bullpens, rotations, um, which makes a big change if you're drafting guys for certain values in in fantasy. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. The best the best shape season is always is a fun dynamic that's always introduced in the the offseason and like preseason spring training. Like I know even for me, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. So whenever you see like, you know, Ronald Acuna swinging in the cage, it's like, oh, that ball sounds great off the bat. I know he's a pro hitter. It's going to. But right. Like he's already been doing he's already been doing drills. I've seen the videos on on 
Twitter going out there of him doing like ladder drills and and whatnot. I've even seen Jake Berger doing like turning two using I mean it wasn't at second base, it was a home plate on the field that he was standing there, but he was clearly doing the second base motion for a double play. So, you know, these are kinds of things that we're looking for normally that we just don't have right now. And if we do, it's very limited. Like, you know, you mentioned a couple there. The one that jumps out to me right now is a disgruntled Pittsburgh Pirates fan is Mitch Keller topping out in the triple digits this offseason that he's been working with the Velocity program. Will that equate to anything? I sure hope so. Um, I've mentioned it. I think I mentioned about two years ago on the Fantasy Alarm podcast here, but I had dreams of a decade, maybe a decade plus of a Tyler Glass now, Jamison Tana, Mitch Keller-led Pittsburgh rotation. Let's not forget about Shane Baz there. Yes, and now now all of them, well, at least a good chunk of them are in Tampa Bay thriving and not, you know, starving in Pittsburgh there. So it's it's very interesting. We don't have that. I guess I stand to benefit from that as a sucker for those kind of things. They end up pushing players up past where they need to be. But there are there's a I would say the there are more disadvantages that the lockout is providing, you know, outside of the reality, but especially in fantasy. Like what can we take away from that? So one thing that I think is interesting and this is going to be a segment that we're going to do here going forward, to be honest, I really hope it doesn't last long. I hope this is the only time that we have to do it. Um, and that means this, we're hopefully getting closer to the season starting. But this segment, we're going to call it Between a Lock and a Hard Place. So what are we talking here? It's why is it tougher to draft in a lockout? So we talked about some of the advantages that are made available. But Matt, I'll let you go first here. Why? Give me one reason why it's significantly tougher to draft here in like the state that we're in with the lockout. So one for me is, you know, every year we get these guys that finish up the season injured or they were injured partway through last year and you need to see them uh, progress in the offseason so you have a better feel of where you're drafting them. And so to me, injuries during the lockout are a huge disadvantage because these guys aren't able to meet with their team trainers, the team doctors, the they can't put together a plan with the team on rehab. Um, a lot of them are working with, you know, private folks or, you know, whatnot. But the information also isn't being shared because if they were working with the team, beat writers would then have that information. Well, that's not happening right now. So there are a bunch of key guys uh, that are coming off of injury. We touched on one already, Ronald Acuna, right? He seems to be progressing pretty well from what we can tell. But we don't know 100%. But then there's another key brave Mike Soroka, who's also coming off of an injury for the basically the second year, and we don't know where his Achilles is. Do we? Is he going to be fully ready to start the year? Is he coming back in July? We don't know yet. So um, that is one huge disadvantage for me in terms of lockouts is the lack of communication and training plans for guys with injuries. On a similar path with yours, it kind of relates to the player availability aspect, but uh, given that I have been doing the free agent tracker for the Fantasy Alarm Draft Guide, so if you haven't got that, check it out. Make sure you go get that. But for me, it's the free agents. Like I love when players sign, and that way I know farther in advance what I'm getting. You know, A report came out that the Rockies were interested in Kyle Schwarber. Where the hell would his ADP be if we had known that he was going to Colorado already? Now, sure, if he you know, signs in two weeks with them. It's still the same thing. He's still there. But a lot of these free agents are being impacted. And selfishly, as someone who has fantasy drafts coming up, I would like to 
I guess you can call them calculated investments. Like if I'm going to draft a Kyle Schwarber, you know, ideally I know where he's going to play. Is that going to stop me completely from taking some of those guys? Absolutely not. But if you're like me, especially in fantasy baseball and tend to be more risk averse, you like to know exactly what situation you're stepping into. So with during this lockout right now, when they can't sign, oh, then you see a couple like minor league deals floating around. We don't know where they're going to land. We can't properly assess, hey, am I comfortable pushing this guy up around? Or nope, don't like that. Like we're going to talk about a guy later. I really don't like where he landed, but it happened already. So we can kind of forecast that there. But between a lock and a hard place, Matt's going with injuries. I'm going with free agents. Hopefully next week we don't touch on this segment and we get to talk about why we're happy the lockout ended and what made us all giddy and excited about that. But with these free agents, I think it impacts them the most. And there's some other teams that stand to benefit, but it sounds like universal DH is going to be a thing. We're going to get that. So Matt, I'll let you go first here. What, what or whom, like what teams, what players stand the most to gain? Obviously, we have some free agents out there who now really, instead of just, you know, half the league that they could sign with, the whole other half of the league is essentially opened up. So there's some obvious ones in there. But I'll let you go first. Who, who are the first couple teams or names that really jump off to you that benefit from um, the supposed universal DH? Well, you touched on one in your between the lock and a hard play segment there with Kyle Schwarber, right? If he goes to Colorado... You better hope he's playing DH because the size of that outfield and his lack of defensive ability is not a good mix, right? You're hoping that that guy just stands in the batter's box four times a game and is launching them over the the fence in the higher altitude of Coors Field, right? So that's one guy who probably really needs the universal DH to be to really up his market at this point because if it only stays in the American League. That's going to kind of limit him, and the Rockies probably aren't going to be that interested in Kyle Schwarber. Um, but a couple of teams that it probably helps. I'm going to focus on the NL West here with the Dodgers and the Giants. The way that they implement guys and use them basically at free will throughout their their lineups, I think adding a universal DH spot would really help those two teams with um, the way they implement their players. And because if we think about it, the Dodgers have like five dudes capable of playing second base, but those guys are also capable of playing other spots. But one dude is going to be an odd man out almost every game, unless they have the universal DH. And then you can put the odd man out at DH. Same thing with the giants. We've seen them use five outfielders last year in their 107 win season. Um, so one of them could be a universal DH, and then you could just rotate them through. Same with the Colorado Rockies, right? We already talked about Schwarber. But even if Schwarber doesn't sign there, you have uh, Ryan McMahon and a couple other guys in the middle infield that they can't ever figure out what to do with. Put one of them at DH. You've got four or five outfielders already on that roster that you could play. You know, you could give Charlie Blackman a day off and put him at DH and keep his bat in the lineup. So I'm going to say that the NL West, most of the NL West teams would benefit from the universal DH. Absolutely. And you guys, guys like Nelson Cruz, Jorge Soler, big power bats that come to mind. Two other teams that are very interesting to me, at least. One, and it really just came about with the offseason spending spree that they made, but the Mets are going to have a fun time creating lineups. I don't know if it's going to be for the better or for the worse, but there's a lot of, there's basically a lot of mouths to feed and you only have, well, at least now you get, hopefully get that ninth lineup spot. That way you don't have to waste it on a pitcher. But I mean, you got guys like 
Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil. We had been talking about after they made all of those acquisitions on the offensive side in the offseason, was one of them going to go? Is one of them going to be basically praying for an injury to happen to be fantasy relevant this season? That DH spot is going to make it very interesting, and the Mets are going to have an interesting time there with that one. And then the best one, I think, for fantasy purposes is going to be with the Cincinnati Reds. Whatever they can do to get more of their bats in that lineup, in that home park, Yes, please. Whether it's Aquino, whether you get Senzel, maybe you could put Winker there. Maybe Votto gets some time to, you know, he's no spring chicken at 38. So they, there's a lot that they can do there. Um, they're going to be a fun team, especially from a DFS standpoint and even season long with that, with the Great American Small Park, with that home field. I want more bats. I want less pitchers with a bat in their hands in that park. I mean, Reds, Reds home games were already games that you were looking to stack anyway in DFS. Now it could just get even better with with more bats to target there. Yeah, can you imagine the Reds Rockies games with Universal DH and stacking in DFS? <laughs> I don't care where they play, but when those two teams play, I'll be paying notice and considering that I'm probably going to draft, I'm always going to end up with a couple Reds arms anyway, so I'm those games I'm going to I guess it's the old uh the play and pray method. Put them in there and hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. Um we'll have to see have to see how that if that shakes out and we still have plenty of free agents that can sign it who knows like you got guys like uh like Correa still out there Freddie Freeman that are out there you get them like Freeman if he can get a benefit not that he needs it he's been a beacon of stability and durability throughout his career anyway but you get him the ability for a day off absolutely keep his bat in the lineup though for a day off <sighs> yes please like I like the universal DH it will be fun for the 2022 season, but ADP talk will move away from the teams, the players will go into a little bit of this or that. So let me go first here. I'm going to forecast the first this or that one here with a little bit of foreshadowing as to where I'm leaning, but Marcus Semyon or Trevor Story, they're about eight picks apart. Semyon coming off a year of career best goes to a much less potent offensive spot, although the Corey Seager signing helped. Semyon's about pick 32 right now. Stories around pick 40 per NFBC ADP data. Where are you leaning between these two? So probably be higher than he is right now, just because of park factor. Um, I don't know that that year for Marcus Simeon is repeatable, right? Like I had him last year and I, based on what I paid for him, I way underpaid in my auction league for Simeon, but nobody expected, uh, what basically almost a 40 20 season from him moving to Texas and out of the AL East is going to hurt him. But I think I have to go with Simeon right now over story simply because we know where Simeon is. We know the division. We know the pitchers he's going to be facing. We know the offense that's there. Um, story's kind of up in the air. And if story stops running, then his value drops a little bit more, too. So yep. I'm going to go with Simeon. I'm I'm going to have to go with Story. I'm a sucker for value. I'll take it. I wrote it up in the free agent tracker. You can go look it up. But there's not many times guys that – not that Simeon's old necessarily by any means, but guys his, his age coming off of a year full of career bests, a lot of times you don't see you know a replicated season like that. Not saying that he can't do it. And fortunately, I'll tell you what, he got lucky or maybe we got lucky, but if Corey Seager did not sign there, I don't think you could pay me enough to go ahead and take Simeon at pick 32. Seager helps. Now, can he stay healthy? There, there's just so many darn questions around this Texas team. I'm interested to see how it plays out, but for me, I am going 
with Story. We'll move to another one here. We'll go over to third base. And it seems about like two years ago, it's if I would have gave you these two names, you would have said, well, do I have the do I have the fourth pick or the 10th pick? Because that's what's going to matter in regards to these guys. Now, in 15 team formats, we're talking about after we're talking into the fifth round, sixth round, maybe even the seventh round with some of these guys. But Nolan Arenado or Alex Bregman, which one of these two do you want? Keep in mind, Bregman right now is going about 20 picks later. So basically talking about a round and a third. I will let you choose this one first, and then I'll either take the other or defend your pick. Perfect. Uh, I'm taking Arenado. I'm I'm a sucker for Arenado. I like the lineup that he's in. There's a lot of good bats in St. Louis, not that there's not in Houston. Bregman's done running. I'm not counting on him for anything there. I'll just go ahead and take Arenado, and you want to knock some of his numbers, but all the guy does is produce. Sure, maybe it's not the Colorado-esque numbers, and I guess that's going to be the case where if you're concerned stories, which he's not going back to Colorado, but if he can have a significant decline, which is about very valid point. But for me, I know it's 20 picks later for Bregman. I'm not getting stolen bases, so I don't really care that way. I'm paying up. I'm going to take Nolan Arenado. What about you? So here I'm going to take the value, and I'm actually going to go Bregman, which is surprising because I don't usually like Bregman. And I know Correa isn't in that lineup, but let's face it, with the injury concerns he's had the last few years, he hasn't really been in the lineup quite as much as people expected him to be anyway. Um, So, you know, we've still got Yuli Gurriel, who's one of the best first base bats there. You've still got Jose Altuve, who's still good. You've still got Kyle Tucker. You've still got Michael Brantley. Chaz McCormick was pretty decent. Um, And you've got, you know, a little bit of depth coming up in the farm system. Not great, but a little bit. So I think I'm going to take the 20 pick savings and I'm going to get Bregman because I kind of think he's basically the same guy as Arenado minus the defense, which doesn't help you in fantasy. And so if we're looking at basically the same offensive numbers, I'll take the 20 picks and go with with Bregman. Also, in some leagues, he's still kind of multi-positional eligible. Some, not all, but some leagues, and that helps too. So absolutely, I'll go with Bregman over Arenado. Absolutely, I'm that was that was a tough one because you just look at Arenado, and other than 2020, he's got you know 30 bombs each of the past you know well one two three four five six seasons outside of 2020. So he's just been very reliable. I'll take him. I know the batting average has dropped. That should rebound a little bit this year. He's not going to hit 255 again. He's he'll push closer to 275, 280 at least this year. And if you play in OBP formats that he's got to take more walks. He should in that lineup, and he'll be just fine. So you can't really go wrong either. I get the value argument, so you got me there. But starting pitching-wise, this one is interesting. So Chris Bassett's coming in at pick 139, and he's been, to his credit, a lot better than I thought he's been. When you look at the numbers, You, if you would have gave me maybe 25 guesses at what his ERA over the past three years is, I wouldn't have been anywhere near it looking at it. But some of the other guys, Framber Valdez, Logan Gilbert, Eduardo Rodriguez are all going right around Chris Bassett. Can you take any of those guys over Bassett or do you take the other guys because they simply have more upside? And I mean, you can appreciate Bassett's reliability and stability over the last couple of years, but you're going to chase upside maybe with a younger like Logan Gilbert or Logan Gilbert, or maybe you go Eduardo Rodriguez in his first season in Detroit. So I'm a little partial on this one because I do have Chris Bassett at a very good value in a in my deep keeper league this year. Out of a hundred dollar budget, I have him for three dollars to keep, um, and he's probably worth at least five bucks in that format. Um, 
But the guy that I kind of would take over him in a redraft, um, you know, snake format or even a redraft auction, I probably would take Erod over Chris Bassett. And it's mainly because of the division that Eduardo Rodriguez has now gone to, right? He's in Detroit. So in terms of, you know, pressure for a contract, Detroit's a pretty small market under the radar team. But we're also talking AL Central, right? That that division, I know the White Sox won it last year, but they weren't really as good as they were the year before when they fired their manager. Um, but the offenses in that division are not really all that scary. The Twins offense, not quite that scary anymore. The Royals offense, not great. The Guardians offense, not great. The ballpark in Detroit is a lot bigger than any of the parks he just played in in the AL East. So I'm probably going to go Eduardo Rodriguez, who was pretty good for most of last year. Um, And if he's over that knee thing, he could be pretty good for a team that appears to be going for it based on the free agents they've been linked to as well. So I'm going to I'm going to take Erod in this one. I can't blame you. I, I would lean. I would lean probably Gilbert and then Bassett. I'm. I'm very bullish on Gilbert this year. I'm going to overpay him. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, um, in some of the NFBC leagues that I inevitably get involved in, if I set a new minimum on Gilbert, it just it's what's going to happen. I'm just telling you now, and I'm okay with it. I'll take that risk, and that's for me. It's going to be Gilbert and Bassett. I I don't mind Erod. I feel better with him. That, like you said, Detroit's at least trying to resemble a lineup that sounds like they're going for it. So I can I can understand that. I'm just going to be in on Gilbert and Bassett over the two of them. But I'm going to let you shine here outside of the top 300. Some of these guys here, and each week we'll do a couple deeper dives into into some players here. So I'll let you go first. It seems like there's a Giants bat outside of the top 300 that you might be particularly intrigued by. Who is it and why? Yeah, so Lamont Wade Jr. is going off, this is according to NFBC ADP, um, just since January 1st. So I set the filter January 1st through, we're recording this on the 31st of January. So basically during the month of January, he's coming off the board at 312, which is pretty deep, right? You're talking in 12-team leagues, you're basically like a last-round pick or so. Um all that guy did was show up and produce professional at-bats down the stretch for the Giants last year, right? Like, the Giants have a history of having these guys come up from their farm system that don't have any hub about, you know, hubbub about them. And all they do is produce professional at-bats. And what do I mean by that? He takes pitches. He puts good swings on balls. He's in a pretty good ballpark. I mean, yeah, the home runs are down, but he's in a pretty good ballpark to, you know, get extra base hits. That lineup should be pretty decent. He's going to get playing time at a bunch of different spots, and if we get the universal DH, he'll get a spot at the DH. And, you know, the NL West has some pretty decent hitter parks. Like, Coors Field gets all the attention, but Dodger Stadium produces a bunch of home runs. Uh, San Diego... That's not a terrible hitter's park either at this point. So, um, you know, I'm I'm pretty intrigued by the way they used him, and he kept getting at-bats and was generally kind of in the middle of the order for them. 
which is kind of what we're looking for if we're going to take a sleeper. You want guys who get at-bats. So I don't have any problem taking flyers on Lamont Wade Jr. Um, did you have any thoughts on uh, Wade? The only thing, and it would be something that you definitely haven't, definitely that you haven't, well, it's a double negative and haven't not heard before, but he did show some split disadvantages last year, but there's a lot of guys who can't hit lefties or righties, but they mash the other and they work their way into our hearts, whether it's DFS or seasonal players by playing the advantage. So last year they kept him pretty, they didn't expose him much to lefties, only taking about 37 at bats last year, the 135 average, but everything he did against righties showcased nice. And I mean, once you get, once you get outside of the top 300, you're not really, let me say it this way. Early on in drafts, you're almost trying to find a reason to not draft someone. Whereas once right. you get outside of the top 300, if there is a legitimate reason as to why you think this player could, I mean, literally be anything outside of the top 300, all you need is a reason to draft him. I mean, there's going to be reasons not to, because he's outside of the top 300 for a reason. Like, let's be honest. There's right. if, there, if there was a perfect player outside of the top 300, he wouldn't be outside of the top 300. Like, that's just it. So. He showed Case nice power last year, decent walk rate. Maybe the strikeouts cut down a little bit. But, I mean, just over the course of last year against righties alone, 18 bombs and a 268 batting average, that's plenty fine for me outside. Right. And um, if you figure most third. teams have four righties in their rotation and one lefty, that means he's only really going to sit one out of every five games. So, you know, that, that's reasonable at bats there. Um, the next guy that I had down here on the list is Jaron Duran. He's going off right now at 397. Um, now there's a major question about at bats, right? Is Jaron Duran going to get enough at bats to, to make him worthwhile? Okay. That's a reasonable, that's a reasonable, pro- reasonable problem and why he's going off the board. So, so late, here's the thing though, when he gets the at bats, he's going to steal bags. Guy has ridiculous speed and he may not even need at bats to steal bags. He might just be a late inning, um, you know, steel threat off the uh off the bench like Terrence Gore used to be. Um Jaron Duran is gonna get you probably ten to twelve stolen bases this year and it pick basically four hundred free steals is not a problem for me at all. Nope. We're gonna need him anyway. You'd like to see Duran's still incredibly young, so it's right. Don't take some of what he did last year and you know you can use that. But I mean like this year Last year, 35% strikeout rate. Even if that remains the same, I expect him to at least improve on last year's minuscule 3.6% walk rate. All the guy has to do is get on base. And like you said, stolen bases are going to be a plenty. And, they, and he's got he's got some pop in there. It might not be top end, but he's got enough to leave the yard. And, you know, Especially in Fenway. As a left-handed hitter, he's got the pesky pole to his advantage. I like him as well. Before we wrap this up and put a bow on this initial episode, Robert Suarez outside of the top 500. What what is what is what is it about him that's that's catching your eye and should be catching everyone else's eye? So Robert Suarez, if you don't know who he is, has been a guy who has spent the last six years pitching in foreign leagues, Mexico and Japan. Okay, the Padres signed him this this offseason before the lockout, so he's already signed. This is not a rumor; he's on the team. He's been signed. Why did they sign this guy that nobody's heard of? Because the last two years in Japan, the guy put up 25 saves and then 42 saves last year. Okay? Now, yes, the ball is different in Japan, the whatnot. But saves are saves. Right? They're still counted the same. Guy, over his career in the foreign leagues, has struck out 
basically his average nine Ks per nine, so basically a strikeout an inning. Not terrible, not great. But if you need saves, this guy is a freebie for saves. Now, why is he going so late? Because nobody in San Diego has officially claimed the closer role. Why? Because there's a lockout and nobody's had time on the mound to, you know, show what they can do and whatnot. But I really doubt that they're going to go into the year with Pierce Johnson as their closer because that's just not <laughs> that's just not going to happen. So if you want a freebie for saves and don't want to have to pay an ADP of better than 120 for closers, Robert Suarez is a free check mark in the saves category uh, as far as I'm concerned. And when you look, sure, maybe the past couple of years of strikeouts aren't as high as you'd want from an elite closer, but what does he have? Keeps the ball in the ballpark, doesn't let up many home runs, and from the looks, you just look at his walk numbers, uh, dare I say pristine command, 1.2 yep. walk per nine over 62 and a third innings last year. Again, there's going to be some maybe adjustment pains as we've seen with guys coming over, but yeah, this, again, that late in the draft, if there's typically you don't find guys with a pulse that can have a chance at saves without about 13 injuries and six demotions. But right. Robert Suarez could win this job outright. And I mean, is it crazy to think his ADP could be cut in half if, you know, if the lockout ends and we have a full spring training, everything happens like that. We see him inside the top, maybe 300. Yeah. I mean, if the Padres came out today and said Robert Suarez is our bona fide closer, the next day his ADP would be in the 200, like easily in the 200s with how, with how high closers are going right now in the NFBC drafts and, and early drafts, um, yeah, his ADP would easily be cut in half, if not like a third. That is something that we will definitely track. We're going to go ahead and put a bow on this episode of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Make sure you head over to FantasyAlarm.com. Check out the MLB Draft Guide and all of the great content that's in there constantly being updated and the forthcoming content that is yet to be put out. Make sure you give Matt a follow on Twitter at the salesman. I'm at Colby R. Conway on, on Twitter. And until next time, be well.